Thank you. Good to see you all. How are we doing? It's nice and cool in here. Uh, good to see you got Icy Pulse. It was, uh, I got an ice cream as well at Queenian. It's uh, one of those days. It's but lucky you guys are the PM guys, because I heard what the AM guys had to go through this morning. Um, and it wasn't pretty. I heard the Tim Tams were melting and in water, on water. That's how melted they were. How are we all doing? We good? Yeah. Uh, so those that don't know who I am, my name is Kay, one of the leaders here at Divergent Church. I uh, just came from Queenian, so if you're like, oh, this guy just misses worship, worship. He doesn't care about worship. No, I do care. It's just that I've travelled up down from Queenian. I've only got one car, so I had to drop off the wife and kid because uh, my car got uh, hail damage uh, last week, two weeks ago. So just getting around. Um, if you, you probably talked about life comms, and I just want to kind of just back that up. Uh, we did something at All In on Wednesday where we talked about um, I did a little graph, so I'll kind of do a little graph picture, just pretend there's something here and I'm just drawing on it. Uh, but we talked about, you know, this is Jesus, so Jesus in the middle, um, these little circles. Jesus had his three, uh, James, Peter and John, you know, that he's really tight with. Uh, and then he had his 12 and then he had his 72 and then he had his 120 and probably more than that. And so our heart here at Divergent is that... You know, yes, Sunday gathering is important, we're passionate about it, but actually we, we want to see people hang, catching up during the week outside of Lifecom and outside of church, and that's what I'd consider like the three, you know, Jesus spend that, that time with, you know, who are those people you can catch up with, um, but then we see the 12 that, oh, my heart is that that's Lifecom, and why I say, you know, Lifecom is important is because I think that's where we can have those really deeper conversations and discussions. Um, that's where you can ask great questions. Obviously, when I'm up here, it's hard sometimes to ask questions. I know some guys come and talk to me after the service. But that's where you can really, you know, think about it, talk what you're thinking. Sometimes you might disagree. And as, great as, and as a community, you can really grow together. I know as a family, um, I've got my immediate family that's uh, four sisters and a brother, and I really feel close to. And then I've got my extended family, which is 30 cousins, which, yeah, I know them, but I'm not as close. And I'd, I'd say that Sunday is sometimes like that, that we've got the 72. You know, I'm still family. Like, I'm still passionate about them. I catch up with them. Um, and this is what Sunday can be like. But I think Lifecom's where we're going to really grow those families. And I don't want them to come clicks. So still, we want to be unified as a whole church. And I'm talking more than just the Sunday. I'm talking about as a one church. Um, and then I'd consider one as like the 120. So that's our heart, and I want to see everyone in a life comm. That's, that's my heart. And I want to see us all catching up with each other during the week. Um, and I don't mean just us catching up. Like, include non-Christians in those conversations. Reading the Word. Don't think it's got to be a one-on-one -on -one thing, which I'll kind of delve into soon. Um, so has anyone here grew up watching Summer Heights Eye? I reckon you guys are a bit more receptive here. When I asked other gatherings, they were like, I think I had like one or two hands raised. Uh, so you remember my time was in high school at this time when we, when we had Summer Heights High. And for those that don't know what Summer Heights High is, I'm not recommending it. I'm not saying you should go home and watch the show. Uh, it's probably something you wouldn't recommend to your kids. But it's about Chris Lilly. He's, this, he's, he's the guy that acts these three characters. So he's all three of them. Um, so he's got the racist mean girl that he likes to, to, to act out and he does a fantastic job. Um, they're all at school and then he acts out the teacher 
Um, he's got these amazing dreams to be the greatest drama teacher in the world. Uh, and then he's got Jonah, who's a Tongan boy, always in trouble. And, and I remember <laughs> when I was in high school, that, so Tongan, he, uh, Jonah always got in trouble for his language. He's like, you know, what's your language, Jonah? Uh, he gets suspended. And he decided that he would change uh, the swear word um, and change the letter. So instead of saying the F word, he would say P. Use the P, letter P to say puck. And anyways, I thought that was pretty funny. So I'd go around school to all the teachers and telling them to, <laughs> thinking it was funny at the time. Unfortunately, teachers didn't like it still. They still thought there was something deeper going on there. I got in trouble, went to the principal. Um, and I was just thinking about language, you know. So for me, I didn't truly mean what I was saying. Like, I was just thought it was a funny thing to say. But to be honest, Jonah, even though that he changed the letter, he still meant what he's meant to those teachers. And so we've been doing a series about what's your language. And, you know, there are times where people say things that they don't truly mean it. It's just a slip of the tongue. I mean, you've heard me sometimes get up here and, you know, you guys are very, uh, you know, forgiving because I have said things. You're like, oh, I don't think that's what Cade means. I know him. And yes, I have said things and it's not the language I meant. That's not my heart. I've, you know, and, but then there are times where people do say things and they do mean it. Well, this is what I'm kind of trying to talk into. I'm talking to those people. <laughs> I don't want us to go around be, starting to be in a judgmental church going, you can't say that. What's your language? You know, I think it's important that, you know, Where's, where's that person's heart when they say that? You know, and I think it's important that we have the right language because, especially as leaders, it's something I've been talking to our leaders about, because we can lead people on the wrong path and get the wrong idea. And a lot of stuff that we say, I grew up in a church. I know some here that have grown up in the church. And sometimes, you know, bad traditions creep in, bad theology creeps in. And we just say things because we hear someone else at the front, they get up and say this great thing and, you know, it says it in the Bible, but what they've done is taken it out of context and doesn't actually truly what it means. And, you know, we end up saying it and then someone else says it and it's a flow-on effect and then, bang, we've got this culture of saying things that actually I don't believe are biblical. And I do think it can actually harm the community. Um, so my passion is to really get a good culture that is founded on the Word and that we are helping others grow and... And so for those that weren't here at one last week, I talked about um, what is God's will for my life and how I think that's bad language. And the reason why I say that is because what you're, what you're saying when you say that is like God's will's been lost and you're going around looking for it and God's in heaven going, you're getting hotter, you're getting hotter. No, no, you're getting colder now, you're getting colder. Uh, and this is what we're doing. And, we're kinda, and, and also like people waiting, they're like just sitting there going, yeah, I'm just waiting for God's will. Just waiting. Five years later, still waiting. Ten years later, I'm still waiting, waiting. And then they get too old and they haven't... Can I just... For those that weren't there, God's will is the same for everyone. And it's pretty clear in the Word. It's from the beginning of the, and the end of the Word that God's will is that He wants everyone to know about Him. He wants everyone to be in relationship with Him. He wants to be worshipped. So I know some people maybe got offended at this, is that when I say that God doesn't really care about your job, and you're like, what? And what I mean is, he doesn't sit at, you know, at heaven and you get to heaven and go, well done, 
Cage, you, you, you were a footy coach. Fantastic. Exactly. What he does care is that through my coaching and through my job that I can reach people for the kingdom. So, yes, in some way he does care, but it's what you're doing with your job. Or you're using your job to, to help your, um, you know, your mission. Like a tent maker, we talked about that with Paul. So I just want to put that clear now. Nothing should be stopping from you right now in your university, in your job. You should be going now. God's will is for everyone to know about him. So let's start telling people about Christ. That's his will. And I, I, the Bible's pretty clear on that. I think that's language that's crept into the church and people are sitting on their bums doing nothing, waiting for God's will. This week, and we're going through some interesting titles. This week, I want to I bring up a term. No one is discipling me. No one is discipling me. Now, I'll just, I'll just change that wording because for some of you might go, what does that mean? I'll, another meaning for that would be, no one is feeding me. No one is feeding me. Now, some of you might go, where's Kay going with this one? Now, maybe you're new with us. Maybe you don't know what discipleship means. And disciple, can I be honest, it's, it's become a very popular thing to say right now. The last, you know, 10 years, you know, you hear church leaders, you know, using this word and it sounds very catchy. And, um, and I think what we've done is we've kind of, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's, we've put it on a pedestal in a way, discipleship, and it, it sounds intimidating for a lot of people. It's, you know, and, and then I think what we see, and I, I want to tell you now, discipleship is not a program. It's not like you've got the teacher and then there's the disciple. That's not what it is. I want to really get back down to what it really, truly means. Because I think we, and I think even me, I'm talking to myself because I think I had a misconception until I really read into it, you know, and I was just listening to people. It's amazing when you actually sit down and read the Word and go, oh, hang on, maybe I got it wrong too. So I'm still unlearning. But I want you to come with me on this journey. So just a little bit of background. You know, Jesus' followers, we know, were called disciples. And I know some churches think that, you know, you, you just got the 12 and that's it. They're the special people. There's no one else. That's not true. Um, but you had the, the disciples and long before they were called Christians. So, you know, this word Christian um, wasn't actually around. And, and, and the first time we see the word Christian actually comes in Acts. So Jesus never called anyone a Christian. And even the believers didn't call themselves Christians. And when we see this word Acts 11, disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So that's the first time we see Christian. And the most Bible scholars agree that it's unlikely the believers themselves thought of the name Christian. It's actually coming from the world. So the people around them. Actually, if you, if you read your word New Testament, the, the believers called themselves a disciple, saints and brothers, more than Christian. We didn't even say Christian. That, that, I know Peter mentions about being the, the Christian, so I'm not saying the term Christian is the wrong word. I'm just saying that disciple was actually mentioned more. And they called themselves uh, disciples Christ. So biblically speaking... Christian is a disciple of Christ. Just for the, just to put it out there, if you are a believer here this, this afternoon, 
following Christ, you are a disciple of Christ. It's not something that's separated. It's not for a leader. You guys are disciples of Christ if you are following Christ. And I think the reason preachers and leaders are going back to this word disciple and preaching about it is because the word Christian, I think, has lost its meaning. I think it's become a cultural word. A little bit like, and I'm not having a go at these people, like, I know there's some really faithful Catholics, but I know that a lot of, call them, a lot of people call themselves Catholics, even though they've never been to Mass or never go to Mass. It becomes cultural because they grew up in a family. I think Christian is becoming that way as well. People go, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, that means I'm a Christian. No, you're not. If you're following Christ and you're showing the fruits of the evidence, yeah. And I think that's why preachers maybe now uh, are talking into this and, you know, want to use the disciple because it's kind of got some more oomph to it. Now, I think Christian should. It's got Christ-centered, so it should have a truer meaning, but I guess people have used that as a culture word, so I guess, you know, let's use a different word. Let's, let's go back to what the disciples used to call themselves, disciples of Christ. So, once again, let's even look deeper, though. What does disciple mean? And I think it's got a lot deeper meaning than people realize. And I think that's why we're seeing the church really talk about it. And so the Greek word for disciple means more than just a student or learner. I love that. It's more than just a student or learner. It's more than just reading the word. You know, you see people with theology degrees and they're still not believers. It's more than a student or learner. A disciple is someone who adheres completely to the teaching of another. And I would even, and I've put my own words, giving up their lives to that one's teaching to tell others. That's what a disciple of Christ is. And we, we see, disciple of Christ, we saw, you know, they were disciples of John the Baptist, and they would listen to his teaching. They would give their lives up for John the Baptist. So disciple is not just a Christian term. So understanding that, when Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19, which often we hear the Great Commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded them. When we, when we see that, what he's saying as the disciples, go and make disciples, he's saying we need to go and make more followers of Christ. That's all it is. Go and make more followers of Christ, more followers of Christ that are going to give up their life for Christ devote to him, to his teaching, and then they go and tell the world about Jesus and do the same thing over, and then they go on and tell the world, and they go on. That's what it means. And I guess that's why we're here today. If it just stayed with the 12, and this, we wouldn't be here today. So we would thank God that they knew that that's what discipleship meant, is that going and telling the world. And I, I want to give you even a better um, definition, I think, uh, a definition I've picked out. I'm not saying that Jesus said this is the definition of discipleship, but I think this is a good example, a good explanation of discipleship, and it's the first time Jesus calls his first two disciples, first two followers, and that's Peter and Andrew, and he says this, he says in Matthew 4, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, you might be going, how do you get a definition of disciple out of this? Well, I want to break it down because I think this is what we as Christians, this is what our walk is. Um, so if you want to put up the next slide, 
A disciple is one who follows Jesus. Now, you probably heard me say, Jesus never told us to say a sinner's prayer. Now, I'm not saying a sinner's prayer is bad. Good, good start. But Jesus actually said, follow me. Come, follow me. And so the question is, I've seen so many say the sinner's prayer, but I don't see them following Jesus. I haven't seen a heart change. I haven't seen repentance, which is what we see all the time in the New Testament. Repentance. Turn away from, you know, die to yourself. So the first question is, and this is our discipleship, we're disciples of Christ, we are following Jesus. The second thing is, if we are following Jesus, it says, I will make you, meaning one who is being changed by Jesus. So yes, when we come to follow Jesus, we we are born again, we're a new life, but on that journey, Jesus will continue to change us. The Holy Spirit will continue to change us on that journey, if we are following Jesus. And we need to allow that, because you know what? We're going to get influenced by the world at times. We're going to get caught off track. But a true disciple of Christ will let Jesus continually change them. And like I said, I've been changed. I mean, I've grown since, and I grew up a Christian home, and I, God is continually changing me, Can changing, changing my heart, changing my mind, changing my thoughts. And we've got to allow God. And then the third thing is a disciple of Christ, a disciple is they make fishes of men. One who is on mission with Jesus. If we are following Jesus, we're on mission with him. And you have to understand, Jesus is passionate about the lost. That is God's will. So we should be passionate about the lost. Now, I understand that some struggle with that. I understand that maybe you're like, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know how to start. Well, ask this question. Are you following Christ? Are you dying to yourself? Are you giving it up? Are you letting Jesus change you? Because if you are letting those two things, I can tell you now, Christ will make you a fisher of men and women. You will understand that, you know, you, you are driven by him and not by the world. You're not fearful of the world if you are a disciple of Christ. So I just want to encourage you that I'm not sitting here and pointing the finger going, why aren't you sharing the gospel? I'm telling you now, start following Christ. Start, stop looking at the things you got and the temporary things of this world like Kieran talked about the other week and just start following him. Do a 180 and follow him. So let's, let's go back to that statement. No one is discipling me. Now, hopefully you go, okay, Kate, I know where you're going with this now. I understand what the word disciple means. You know, no one is feeding me. You know, and what, what are you actually saying? I'm, I'm talking to mature. I, I understand that we have new Christians that are like babies, and they do need feeding. <laughs> My son at the moment is nearly two. I have to hand feed him. He can't feed himself. He can't get his own food. But I'm talking to Christians that are still crying out and going to church to church, going, no one's discipling me. No one's feeding me. It's like going to your mum and dad that you're, you're a 20-year-old going, I want you to parent me. I can imagine my mum going, well, grow up and mature. You know how to feed yourself. I've shown you. You know how to get food. You know where the word is. You know how to read it. You know how to pray. You know how to ask people to sit down with you. And so, but I don't think that's what people mean when they say no one is discipling me. I don't think that's what they mean. I mean, if we really read that, and just say, 
you know, they do mean it. What they're saying is that no one in the church is teaching me about Christ. If you, if you say that statement, if you truly mean it, that's what you're saying, that no one in the church, and then we do have an issue. I am concerned. If someone said to my face and I'm leading this church and we're not teaching about Christ, I'm, I'm getting concerned. I'm, I don't think that's divergent though. You know, or how to show, you know, show, no one's showing me how to follow Christ. Same again, I'm worried that there's people in the church not following Christ. But I know that's not what they mean. What they mean, when Christians say this, I think, and I could be wrong, but most of the time when I sit down and talk to these people about, you know, what, you know, what do you mean when no one's discipling? What they mean is they think discipleship is a one-on-one -on -one thing. They're looking for a mentor. Someone to sit down with them, they'll hand feed them. And I, I want to speak into this because I don't think this is based on scripture. I think this is a Western idea. Now, before I get into that, because some of you might go, what? We can't catch up one-on-one. -on -one. No, I'm not saying that. One-on-one -on -one is still good. At times we need that. And I know some of you might be sitting here, I remember, Cade, you said something about one-on-one -on -one that we should do. I have changed my mind. <laughs> I'm allowed to do that. I'm humble enough to admit that sometimes I get it wrong. And I still think there are times where we need to catch up one-on-one too, because that's when we can be vulnerable. But I think Scripture gives us a clear way of what, how discipleship works. And so I want to talk into things, why one-on-one discipleship is not, and this is my first point, it has no biblical support. One-on-one discipleship does not have biblical support. Now you might be sitting there going, Pretty sure you is, Kay. There is examples in the Word. Well, I want to talk into that because I thought the same. You know, often you listen to people. So when, when I say that, you be, I'm sure you're thinking this right now. Paul and Timothy, one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Game over, finished. Yeah, that's a good, good point. But do you ever see anywhere in Scripture that says they were one-on-one -on -one together by themselves in a, in a place? Maybe they did. I'm not saying they didn't. But I can't see it. In fact, when Paul's talking to Timothy, and I, don't get me wrong, Paul and Timothy had a tight relationship. He was in the inner circle. Like Jesus had the three, he was definitely there. But we see in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, Paul says this to Timothy. And he says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach them. So what Paul is saying, hey, the things you've heard me say, Timothy, and that I've helped you and discipled you, wasn't by himself. It was amongst others. Like me and Ryan, hey, me and Ryan have got a good, good relationship. We catch up, we chat. But this is what the situation is, is that it's like me preaching this about no one is discipling me. Yeah, Ryan's hearing what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm discipling him. But you guys are also here. You're also hearing it. That was Paul's doing. He was going to church. When he was writing these letters, yes, he was writing to Timothy, yes. But also it was to help him with the other churches and help them with leadership. So Timothy wouldn't have just kept it to himself. He would have explained this to the other churches. And so, and I'll, I'll talk about this. Imagine if Jesus had focused on one-on-one, -on -one, a one-on-one -on -one relationship. Imagine if that person was Judas. Don't know if we would know about Christ right now. No, Jesus chose the 12. 
And then he had the 72. And then he had more than that that were with him and following him. Another reason why I think, you know, one-on-one discipleship and that, that's a bad term no one has assigned me in, it, it can create an unhealthy dependence. It can, can create an unhealthy dependence. Because it, it, the idea breeds a false idea that discipleship is found in a single source. So I hear people say, you know, Kate is my disciple. I'm not saying our church says that, but I've heard other churches say, yeah, this person's my disciple. I think we, we put this one-on-one and we put our focus on that one person. I, we actually are disciples of Christ, not a one person. My heart is that you don't talk about me, you talk about Christ. I'm trying to point you to Christ, not me. And unfortunately, I think sometimes in the church, it is pointed at the leader. And when he stuffs up, where does everyone go? Gone. Because what they're showing is that their heart was in that person. My heart is that you will follow Christ no matter what I do. And I'm just going to do my best to point him towards you, towards him. And another reason why I say it creates an unhealthy dependence is because there are people that need a lot of time and energy. And I've seen, you know, people go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, I'm going to do one-on-one discipleship and I'm going to put my life into this one person. And then they realise that's a heavy, very burden, a heavy burden to carry investing in one person, especially when they're a very needy person. Now, maybe you've never dealt with this before. Trust me, I have. When they're messaging you every day, going, I need money for this. I need to, I, I've got this issue. I've got this issue. They want to catch up with you every day. They want to ring you all the time. And, you know, and I had this mindset, oh, I've got to invest, I've got to invest. And then you, you end up burning yourself out. You get tired. And you create this unhealthy dependence. They, they, they just rely on you. I, see, I think... The discipleship isn't supposed to be on one-on-one. It's supposed to be the church. We've got to get out of this mindset that, you know, I've, I've got to focus, you know, it's about me and I'm going to invest in this relationship. Imagine if we all had a heart for that person. And it, we realise that the discipleship is all of us. And so if I have that needy person, for example, and... Let's just say Ryan is going to catch up with him on Monday. Awesome, Ryan. But then on the Tuesday, we've got Peter. He's going to catch up with him. And then we've got Dan that's going to catch him on the Wednesday. All of a sudden, it doesn't feel like a heavy burden anymore, does it? How about money? I always say this to us as a church. If someone wants money, don't think that's a burden you have to carry. Bring it to the church. Imagine if we all brought our money together to help that person. All of a sudden, it doesn't feel like a burden anymore. And that's why I think, you know, that discipleship one-on-one, and, and I just want to encourage you that that's what the community is for. Um, and I think that's what leads to see it stunts community growth. It doesn't allow other people to speak into that person. That's why we're passionate about the fivefold because we want to see people speaking in to the others. You know, if we have that one-on-one, you're just going to get that one voice in that person. Can I tell you, sometimes I'm not the best person to catch up with. I like to fix people. And I'm not saying that's a good thing all the time. Sometimes it's a bad thing. Sometimes I need just to listen. And I'm still God's working on me. 
But, you know, people were like, they want to catch up with me. And then I sit down and they tell me their issues. And I'm like, you just need to do this and this and this. And they're like, hey, just listen. That's all I wanted you to do. And then they get disappointed in me. But that's why I love, like, yesterday we're hanging out with Sean and people are talking about how pastoral and loving and caring. And he just listens to people. And that's what the church is for. We have people that can listen when you need to be listened. But there are times like where I need to come in and say, hey, you've been doing, going this way for months on the same issue and this, you need to fix it. Because you can't keep going to people who are just going to listen. If you're following Christ, it's got to change. And this is where the church works together. And I think by going one-on-one, we're not allowing the community to grow. We're not allowing people to bring their gifts and speak into other people's lives. And that's my heart is to see you guys go and speaking to each other. You know, and, and just, just the idea, I think I've heard it a number of, number of times and I've talked to a few people about this. They start blaming themselves when someone falls away from Christ. If only I read the word with them. If only I gave them a phone call. If only, and it, it just, I think that just hurts. Like I think we've we got this mindset that that doesn't help the community and then we need to understand that it's not mine or your job to save people. Yes, we're to share the gospel. Yes, we're to plant the seed. But it's God's role. Don't take that responsibility. If, if we are to take the responsibility, it actually shouldn't be the one person's responsibility. It should be the church's. So if you see people walking out of this, you take responsibility. If, and I, I, that's my heart. When we see new people come to Christ, I want to see us all reading the word of that person, catching up with them, loving them. That's, that's community. And I'm just going to finish. One-on-one, I think, is an addition strategy. And I believe God is about multiplication. And I can just imagine the disciples on the day of Pentecost, you know, responding to the conversion of 3,000. If they had the idea that it was one-on-one, 12 months, it's impossible. But no, that, that model of the community coming around, and we see it. We see it in Acts 2.42. This is a great example of what discipleship looks like. The church coming in and... We see in 42, and it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of the bread, and to prayer. At the end of the day, if someone falls away, God offers the invitation. It's up to them to take it. If they, if they fall away because it gets too hard, don't take that upon yourself. What we see with these guys is they, they hook in. They are devoted to the, the apostles' teaching. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So... So if someone says no one is discipling me or no one is feeding me, I want, I, want to, I want you to ask these questions to them if they say this. And these questions are, are you reading the word with others? 
And, and the reason why I say, yes, you can read the Word together, and that's important, to have that time with God. Did you know the Word was written to the church? And I just love when you read the Word with others that it's amazing what you know, God can bring out through other people. And I didn't even see. Reading the Word is actually supposed to be read together. Another question you could ask them is, are you in a lifecom? And you know what? The people that I've spoken about that issue, they're never in a lifecom. And I'm always like, well, that's the first place to start. Are you going to a Sunday gathering? Now, most of the time when I get this question, yes, they are. But then I ask the next question is, well, are you leaning in? Are you posturing in? Are you hungry for the word? And I, I think that's, you know, often, same again, those people are sitting back on their chair, not listening. You know, and I've, I've heard already, I've already heard from last week when I talked about um, what's God's will for my life. People are already saying stuff like, I'm just waiting for God's will. I was just like, weren't you listening <laughs> to the message? Because <laughs> people aren't hooking in. They're not investing, they're not posturing towards. So that's my question. Are you leaning in? And let's say they do need a one-on-one relationship, which they may need it. Maybe they're having marriage issues. Maybe they're struggling with a sin. I'm not against one-on-one. I'm just saying that it doesn't need to be a 12-month, two-year journey. What I'm saying is, have they asked someone to catch up with? Because often they don't. They're expecting someone to come to them. And unfortunately, not everyone knows what's going on inside. I can't read your minds. Yes, sometimes I come to church and I see people are down and they're struggling. You know, on the way here, I was ringing two guys that, you know, hadn't been to church the last two weeks. Yes, sometimes I'll do that. But also, you need to come forward as well. You need to ask people. There are people in our church, and I'm talking not just here but in Divergent, that are happy to catch up with you. And chat through things. And if I can't answer issues, there's, there's other people. You know, Dan and Jenny are a fantastic couple that you can catch up with. But also, I want, I want you to understand that it doesn't need to be a father and mother as well. Often we're just striving for fathers and mothers. But same again, that's not what we always need. Look to the side of you. You have brothers and sisters next to you on the same journey. And they have great wisdom. They can speak into those situations sometimes. You know, I can just imagine Paul, I don't think he would have had a father or mother at those times. Yes, he might have had the disciples, but he had the guys next to him as well that he could rely on and walk with. He had the Barnabas, the son of encouragement that could, you know, just keep him on track so he's not such hardcore. And <laughs> We've got fantastic people sitting next to you that can help you on the journey. And so I, I want to leave it. You know, if you say no one's discipling me or, you know, I'm not getting fed, it's up to you. You push in. Jesus gives the invitation. And yes, you know, we see the picture of him going after that one lost sheep. Jesus is always, you know, he's, he's going out for the lost. But he can't force people in either. The invitation's there. It's whether you want to take up that invitation. And I, I always wondered why 
You know, when Jesus was talking to the crowds and then he would go somewhere else, why didn't the crowds go with him? Why does it only to certain disciples? Jesus didn't say, no, you can't come with me. That's the question for you. Are you going to push through the crowds and follow Christ? The invitation's there, and I guess, are you going to hook in? Are you going to be in LifeCom? Are you going to hang out with people? Are you going to ask questions? Are you going to have a posture to learn? Because at the end of the day, we actually are discipling one another. I said this to the other gatherings. I don't, I don't expect that, you know, I don't, I'm not taking my son to a school so he can learn about Christ when he grows up. I'm not relying on Sunday school for him to follow Christ. Yes, it's part of the plan. It's good. But actually, it's the church's role. I expect you guys to lead my son, disciple him. And you know what? He's watching. Actually, when I, before I came here, he was pretending to play the kayun on the couch. He's watching people. He's watching you if you're raising your hands. He's watching you if you're prioritizing church, meeting up with each other. And I also think that's my responsibility as well to disciple him as well. I'm going to leave with him. I'm going to, I'm going to read the word with him. You know, 90% of Christian families don't read the word with their kids. That was a study that came out the other week. That breaks my heart. Because we think that that's the church's role. No, we are all disciples of Christ. And we are being the example for not just our kids, but for everyone. And maybe you're here today that you don't even know Christ. I want to encourage you, take the journey. Jesus is offering the invitation, follow him. It may seem harm giving up the things of this world, but I can guarantee you that you will get peace that you just wouldn't understand. Joy, a purpose, and he will restore your soul. And I just want to encourage you guys, let's, let's do this together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray as a church that we are the disciples of Christ that you've called us to be. Father, I just pray that people will know us for the love that we have for one another as a church. I pray, Father, that They'll see us doing your work, not getting caught in the world. And I just pray, Lord, that we will start following you. Not just say it, not just read the words, but just start following you. Yes, we're going to stuff up, but I just pray, Father, that we as a church are going to help one another on that journey. We're going to lead each other. And I just pray, Father, that those that may be really struggling right now in their faith, you know, they feel hungry. I just pray, Lord, that you encourage them to step in. The food's there. It's ready. But we need to come forward and sit at the table and eat with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Hang around. If you've got questions about the message, you know, it's, for me, a lot of this is unlearning. I'm still learning. I mean, this is a funny thing. Uh, Josh, we, we're doing another series called, another sermon on Welcome to Church. And Josh used to tell us that we should never say welcome to church. 
I'm not going to go too much because that's Kathy's message and Kieran's, but he put up a slide saying, welcome to church. So we haven't got it together. <laughs> I'm not sitting up here as a leader going, I've got it all. I still say some things and I'm like, I mean, Wednesday we're doing all in and I was saying, I, was, I implied that church was a Sunday gathering. I didn't, I don't mean that. Church is when we all gather together. So I get it wrong. <laughs> so don't, don't start picking on people. I mean, yes, come and tell me. Sometimes I get it wrong. But I'm still learning and I'm still unlearning because I've grown up in a church culture. And yes, sometimes it's not a big deal, but I think it is. So I think, I think we're, it's important what we say because we, wanna, we, wanna, we want people to be going to Christ and we don't want to limit people's growth and potential. Um, so I encourage you just, yeah, push in, listen. Maybe ask yourself, what do I say that maybe is not is sloppy theology? Um, and, and yeah, if you've got questions, come and talk to me. I love, love chatting with people about the message. Or talk to each other. Cool. Have a good night.